0: things off the way we always do. So hi, everyone. My name's Cronus. Welcome to the Musician's Insider. Today we have a very special guest, Chris Brogan. Chris is president of Chris Brogan Media. They offer brand and digital content strategy as well as business strategy advisory services. He's a well sought after keynote speaker. That's how I've seen him initially and a showrunner of the backup show. He's the New York Times best-selling offer of nine bucks and counting, and he's working on his 10th, The Backpack. So welcome to the show, Chris. How are you?
1: <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Cronus. I'm doing super swell today.
0: We'll come back full circle to music soon. I think maybe let's start a little, little nerdy though. Um, I first saw you keynote speaking, like I was mentioning at PubCon or SMX or something, and okay. I was happy to be cheerfully kept awake by you. Um, it was early. By one of your presentations, I I always, after that, made an effort to see your keynotes because, you know, I've never been disappointed. So thank you for that. But maybe you could talk a little bit about affiliate marketing and then afterwards, any suggestion for musicians.
1: We have said for years that I usually can make at least my mortgage. Um, So I always figure out that at least I'm never going to live in a dumpster. I might have to eat out of the dumpster. Um, but no, I've, I've, I've done affiliate marketing on and off since maybe 2009. It's never a primary part of my business. It's just something I do, uh, one for fun and two, because I I think it's, if you really advocate for a product, then there's no reason why you wouldn't suggest people to find it through a link. And so why not give them, you know, I know no one ever buys me, I don't like have a stable full of ponies based on the things that I've ever given as an affiliate market, but, um, you know, if I say I really love this great, uh, you know, Yeti therm- thermal mug, the hot stuff stays hot and the cold stuff stays cold. And then you buy one, I'll make like 89 cents. So <laughs> I'm not going to betray your trust over it, but I really think you ought to buy a Yeti mug.
0: And you're humble. Uh, I'm also three podcasts in, so it's, it's wonderful to have someone of your stature on here. Um, some uh, background, actually. Um, interestingly, I worked with SEO Engine. And that's an actual Google simulator uh, built from the white papers and published math about the search engines by Google. Their CEO Scott Stopher went to Carnegie Mellon, and he even met Randy Posh. Do you know who Randy Posh is? Sure. Yeah. That book, the
1: yeah the, the last
0: the last lecture. I don't read a lot of books or recommend books rarely, but that's one I would recommend highly. So it's on the side book, a great book. Um, but Scott worked actually had him as a, a teacher. And SEO Engine was brilliant at the time, and they created a predictive sort of search engine, and uh, it was like lifting up the hood at Google. And they're now called Market Brew. And I recently filmed a testimonial for them. And the reason I'm just thinking about this is because I was researching your your stuff, the Backpack Show. Um, and I'm in Midland, Ontario, Canada, near Toronto. And uh, I wouldn't have thought about this, but like literally 17 hours ago, I think you were live, and you were talking to Colin. And Colin Peep
1: from Presearch.
0: He's from is, Midland.
1: He's from down the street, right around the
0: corner. Like we're from no this plan. tiny little town. It's so funny. I, I, I mean, that's the
1: last guy you talk
0: to. He's from literally the same bank right there. Um, so I wouldn't have thought about it, but I was thinking, um, we've never worked together. Um, and I, I give them kudos for trying. Um, there was a time when I remember there was an argument about them being penalized, and then I, I saw in the podcast he was telling how they actually admitted to doing that to them. Um, But when that was happening, I was working in LA at a search engine firm. And I remember we were kind of thinking, this is a bit like whining that you're not getting the results you want, because we were looking at the sites and they weren't really optimized. But then I know what happened that they got penalized hard. So I just thought that was an interesting discussion to hear, because I haven't thought of that in a long time. And it's so super local to me.
1: <laughs> I mean, that's to me, the the serendipity part of the web is the best part. I mean, I've, I've, I've given a talk called the Serendipity Engine, where in which I say, there's this super intangible part of marketing, which is nothing more than just connecting and communicating. So when I talked to you today, you just happened to have caught what uh, I was talking to Colin about yesterday, it turns out you're in the same town. That connection makes you feel um unfairly warm towards me. Like you know what I mean? Like that interview makes you go, oh, that Brogan's a nice guy. He interviewed a guy in my town. Like your brain makes all these connections that it it, it really technically shouldn't. And I think that there's a benefit to that. And I also just think that there's uh, kind of magic in that old silk hat, as they say.
0: <laughs> and uh, I want to be clear too, if Colin sees this, I'd love to have him on to talk about pre-search a little bit to understand what they're doing, because I have no idea what they're doing these days. I know they've been working on it for a long time. So definitely uh, interesting. Um, I know I was, at first, I was kind of like, um, when they said they knocked our whole town offline, because Shop Midland, it was their thing, not Shop City. And they, they expanded it, but it wouldn't make sense to tell you that for him. So I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I mean, isn't DuckDuckGo the Switzerland of search? I was like, going to ask you about that because- <laughs>
1: You know, I, I know about 4% of search. And I would say that, I, yeah, if someone said to me, where would you search if you weren't Google? I, until messing around with pre-search, I would have said DuckDuckGo. Um, what I like is that, you know, he and he pointed this out too. It is It does have you right at that page, you know, linked to a whole bunch of other engines. You can go right from there to DuckDuckGo. Uh, right on the same bar, and you can actually cook it your own. So, like, for instance, I wanted to add Crunchbase to it because I use Crunchbase a lot to look up certain companies I'm doing business with. And so it wasn't that e- that hard to uh, cook another search in for that. So it's been interesting. I, I I don't. The thing I actually found interesting most about it was this whole idea that you could use the uh, crypto coins to anchor certain keywords and all that. I found that interesting. Because, you know, the other way to do it is the way Google does it, which is you just buy, buy, buy. And, you know, this one is more like if you hold coins that belong to this community, uh, we'll just give you the vote. Like you would pick that keyword.
0: Okay, so that's a really interesting thing to talk about. I think it's daring and bold. If you have the ability to do something like that, go for it. But I wouldn't want to bank my career or my company on something like uh, crypto. It just is so weird. But like, if you're a musician, like Snoop Dogg, you can make a snoop doge coin you know like or something like artists like that could do if they're established um everybody on the same label could have like a coin that's you know like that labels coin and then artists can buy things and they can get coins at concerts or for doing activities within some sort of geofence. so i think there's a real opportunity maybe for artists like marshmallow dollar or something like that but um i think it's 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 something you want to be careful with with bitcoin and making crypto like it's kind of like If everyone has one, it's not worth anything, right? So,
1: well, except that there's another area to that. I just read an article about this today, an hour before this show, which is that non-fungible tokens, what they are calling NFTs, yes, um, that allow people who maybe buy an album. In in the whale days, you'd buy an album, and it would say that you know, 200 of these vinyl albums come with a poster, and you know, you go, oh man, I can't. I hope I get one with a poster. Right. Well, they have similar kinds of things with these NFTs that they'll allow you to unlock certain pieces if you, if you also buy one of these tokens. Now, it could be like for a band that you really love, I could see that being quite interesting. Like, you know what I would love is I would love um, a day of uh, just wasted studio tape of, I don't know, the Foo Fighters or something. I would love to watch them screw off in the studio for an entire day. And I would pay premium money to, to have that uh, on top of the album purchase. So I, I think that there's some things there. Uh, another way that I saw this used is uh, when Patreon first came out and then all of a sudden there were a lot of musicians who realized that people who really love certain parts of music, like uh, uh, it wasn't Chad from the Chili Peppers, but I think he was the one who was mentioning it. He had a buddy who was dr- a drummer, kind of like the second drummer in a band, you know, in a rock band, meaning- percussionist. You know, <laughs> not the real, no, 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 not the not the real guy, but the guy who came when the real guy left, and and, and so he he was like of the band, but he was nobody uh, that you would know by name. They're hired so. guns. They're hired exactly. session exactly. players. I know uh, Jace, Jason Newstead as he was in Metallica for a couple of years. Uh, and the, uh, the drummer put up a whole Patreon of things like, you know, come hang out with me for the day. Uh, let's do a drum session together. Let's do, and people bought the crap out of it. He was making more money than some of the original band members were making because he was just never idle. He was just always, you know, banking his time. So there's ways that you can monetize with that, but, it, but it's, it's, uh, there's also kind of a back uh, blow to that too, because then you suddenly seem like that guy that's nickel and diming everyone for anything you do in your time. And you don't want there to, there you like go. That right. Man. It's
0: all about the mysterious rock star suddenly selling his wares, like on the side of the road. The question is, you know, um, I think if the songs it's, it's called, he's using the power of rock. And then this is something that's like, it's like a, the more powerful than SEO. This is why the girls are screaming at the front row. Like this is like, I've had friends who would say they use the power of rock to make this or that happen, where they've been at uh, shows where they work them and it's a major, major artist, like someone like Aerosmith or the Cult or Kiss or something like that. And with the power of rock, a lot of good things happen. <laughs> um, things like people get pick money or pick pick weed or something because they just take the picks to the front and all the kids like want it. So they trade stuff and like the Brodies can do things like that. Um, and uh luckily there's more of a me too world these days because i'm sure there's a lot of bad things that used to happen in that sort of gatekeeper world which as an artist you got to keep an eye on your team to make sure they're not doing those things especially now luckily i have a small team of just me and hopefully the drummer and i can tour so you, you play music chris i wanted to talk to you a little bit about what kind of musical background in life you have and what kind of instruments you enjoy to play and why
1: So I started uh, taking various instruments way back in school. I was a school band nerd. Uh, My very first instrument was clarinet. I got beat up in eighth grade by a high school kid uh, who just started smashing me into a snowbank. I've always been huge, by the way. So this kid was even bigger. Um, And I got beat up. And and as he's like midway through his fighting, because he got me from behind, I said, hey, what are you hitting me for anyway? Like he's like in the middle of hitting me. And he says, because you play clarinet. And so he's still punching me and i said wait 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 and i go is saxophone okay and he like tilts his head and he goes yeah and then he keeps beating me and like that was the end of the fight so i, I went home and told my parents i need saxophone and they're like uh okay they uh paid me to stop playing violin in third grade um i sort of redeemed myself with just a little bit of cello. Uh, I played piano a little bit, which was fun. I was never especially good at it. I had this one really big problem with all of my musical abilities. I'm really good at playing by ear and I'm really not a reader. I can't read music to save my life. Um, I have a pretty decent rhythm. So then I got into rock bands uh, in high school and uh, starting with being a really bad Van Halen and uh, then really bad Megadeth and Metallica cover band. Uh, so I played a real lot of garage band music really poorly, just enough to get some dates and uh, to wreck a big whistle in my left ear. Um, gave it up for Lent. I have a few guitars around the house at all times. I have a, I have a Martin and an Ibanez and I have an acoustic bass uh, that I like to play for whatever reason. I'm not a great bass player, but I figure who is really. Uh, my neighbor's
0: pretty good but that's some good taste you've got there with the martin Uh, my dad had a 1961 d28 that he got mm -hmm. from denny doherty of the mamas and papas there's my dad right there playing his violin Um, yeah you can't see it so well but you know what there There he is and the girl behind him was like a famous lady named carol brown i think carol she was from the lottery commercials in canada the lot commercials
1: wow uh, and that was Those are some family. rocking hats, too. I mean, I feel like they could also have horses not that far away.
0: You know what's really cool? I'm going to show you something else. This is uh, Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry, blues greats from the 30s. If you ever want to hear some really cool blues, Brownie McGee. He was on Michael J. Fox's show Family Ties as an old blues guy one time. And oh, wow. I don't know like how he got that gig, but that was he's in Oakland and he was a friend of my dad's and I learned some blue stuff from them. So I had a pretty interesting childhood with my dad, having people like that coming to our it. kitchen. He was a dentist in Yorkville, Toronto, and would have, he did Joni Mitchell's teeth once for free. Cause she was broke. This was like the
1: sixties. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so that, um, I have a crazy story that relates to my professional speaking career in this one time on, uh, on stage. I have this thing about like, I'll I'll give the speech, but I'm also gonna tell random things that are in my head just because I have to. Yeah, you're a ham. I got on stage and I said this, I said just to this crowd, apropos of nothing, by the way. I said, I had the weirdest dream last night. I said, you guys remember that band, uh, the fabulous Thunderbirds? And like a few people nodded their head. Uh, They had that song Tough Enough um, back in like the very late 80s. It's like a hit, one hit wonder. Yeah, pretty much, which it turns out, uh, I'm going ahead on the story a little bit, but it turns out they had lots of hits, just not to the mainstream. Um, so I said, "Man, I had a dream that I was like jamming with the fabulous Thunderbirds," and I and I never had a positive thought of in my head about them per se before. But I came out of the dream thinking those guys are really nice. What great people! So this guy was in the audience at that speech, and 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 he's best friends with like the lead singer and harmonica guy. And and he making comes up- game. to me afterwards he goes that was really cool i'm really good friends with that guy he goes do you mind if i tell that story i said i told it to a whole room but you can have it it's yours for free um he tells the guy then he says hey i know you're in massachusetts can you get to lowell in like whatever 18 days from when i was sitting there i go sure he goes because the fabulous thunderbirds are playing and you are welcome to come backstage and hang out with them and i said what whoa and and i have two thoughts in my head one is like i don't know their music very well so i better start listening because i'm going to seem like a stupid idiot this is just because I had a dream. I don't like them or, you know, I don't not like them, but I don't. Well, I'm you did a mention
0: it in the keynote. <laughs>
1: yeah. So see, now, you're, now see, you're,
0: you're invested now.
1: It turns out he's, he's like known as the, the lead singer guy. He, he, uh, he's like known as one of the best harmonica players, blues harmonica players in the world. Like he's, he's considered like one of the top five or something like this. And so we go to the show. I get a very upfront, very back, by the way, backstage where we were like, we're on the stage with the fabulous Thunderbird. So imagine a band and this idiot with like long hair that looks like this, just sort of standing there like.
0: Oh, I've imagined it. I mean, I have friends who manage bands and we were recently at the Anaheim House of Blues with all the puddle mud and their whole tour. And we're all standing on stage at the back just taking pictures and being dumb. happens
1: yeah (laughs) and you look like a weird spaceman to everybody who's actually watching the band because they're looking like what's that guy and i feel like give me a triangle or something i better try to fit in but it was great
0: my story they they didn't play the solo to another brick on the wall one of the bands i think it was saliva or chasing abel or one of the saving i don't know the band's names anymore and i was like give me a guitar they're not playing the solo to another brick on the wall part two but they're playing the song
1: Wow. I'm standing
0: there next to them at House of Blues and I'm a guitar player going, I know that solo. I'm like, ah, amateur old bands that are washed up, I will say.
1: Anyhow, Have you had, have you had that dream a lot where you, you're at some show and like, I don't know, Eddie can't be there so you could do the Van Halen, you know, eruption solo or whatever. Like you ever have that dream where you just, you just wish someone's going to come up to you and go, do you know all the words to this song? And you do.
0: Usually it's more of a, those type of dreams are generally anxiety dreams where there's something not working, like the, there's something missing. And I've actually, I opened a show once for 5,000 people. And as soon as we started playing the bass amp went out and my singer is like, this is when a previous band, he's like, quick, go to an acoustic version of this song. And I'm like, this is our moment. And we're playing an acoustic version of our most boring song while he fixes the bass amp. So and when I was in high school, uh, we played Metallica one. And then during the solo, my guitar unplugged and I immediately plugged it back in and got back in like a champ, but I it unplugged. And that was like, people remembered that over anything else we did for years. Exactly. Oh, and I'm just like, so I kind of got sort of like stung by that. And I like to, I'm a perfectionist. The reason I haven't toured much or even done a lot of my career because I've been trying to build a, like a life has been that I, the, the technology wasn't there. But now it's here. Like I can play guitar live on the internet while riding on a hoverboard and it's streaming and I'm using Ableton and there's no one here and it's all, all the backtracks are there and it's in my ears and it's wireless.
1: That's awesome. But I think there's so many great opportunities now, like you say, to do that. I mean, look at all these people that have like full on YouTube careers just because, <sighs> you know, like uh, what's his name? Mark Veltri or whatever, the piano guy. He's so good. And you can just watch him like randomizing with people on Omegle. And I think amazing that you, you can make your life doing that if you want.
0: It's so cool. And like the number one career that kids want is to be a YouTuber.
1: I right. Saw that.
0: I mean, I've heard that from numerous sources. And if you ask kids, what do you want to be? They all want to be like a YouTuber or a dirt biker or a whatever. I was working on being a professional skateboarder. I broke my arm on Labor Day skateboarding again. Um, I, uh then, uh, of course, on December 20th, I re-broke it snowboarding. Can you believe that? The one day that the hills were open here? Um, wow. I had come back from being quarantined the first time, and I had, I had a wrist guard on both times, and I'm generally pretty good. I just fell out a short kind of spine thing where it went from seven foot to three foot. so I had nowhere to go, and the, it broke. And then the snowboarding thing, it, apparently it wasn't healed enough, even though it was totally healed. My body weight couldn't be taken. So now I'm afraid to like walk anywhere. I'm all like, so I'm doing these stretches and, uh, I'm not skateboarding for an entire year just so I can make sure that I don't screw up my music career. So that's my life. (laughs) I'm doing gaming instead.
1: There you go. What are you, what are you playing for games mostly right now?
0: Um, well I got to a thousand wins in Hearthstone as a mage really quick. It's since October, since I started playing I had a friend who's playing it. And I feel like I'm really good at that. I want to do tournaments I can do super mario 2 without dying as a warm-up in about 20 minutes 22 minutes i love that game nice and then i got i've been playing i got a ps4 recently i've been catching up with old friends in the city who i haven't seen in years like online and we're playing grand theft auto 5 red dead redemption and uh i just got an xbox one and i haven't gotten into it yet but we're gonna hopefully be able to catch up with some of my friends on counter strike or whatever the hell they're playing
1: sure a little bit of a Call of Duty or something, Warzone. Call of Duty, yeah.
0: That's everyone else is playing. Yeah. Uh, are you a gamer?
1: I am. Uh, I mean, I started way back in the 80s, and I was <laughs> I was there for the, when arcades were super popular, and you could go and, like, put your quarter down and hope to play Ms. Pac-Man or something. Keep talking. Um, so I started there, and then console games came about, and I was, like, a big uh, Xbox guy when that first ever came out with uh, Halo um, so I played a lot of those. I play a lot of shooters. Um, it's very, uh, you know, it's, it's maybe uh, uh, maybe this is funny to say or ironic, but I I feel very calm playing shooters. Shooters to me are like playing uh, golf or something because you need pretty good aim. Like you know, if you're gonna shoot somebody that's trying to run away from you, you have to have pretty good aim. So so I, I think very zen.
0: I think we're from the similar generation where like 1942. I used to play that in the arcade. And I will only play the arcade version on my Nintendo, my little NES classic I have that's hacked. I don't play the Nintendo version of 1942. I only play the arcade version. And Ghosts and Goblins, I can beat the arcade version. And that took forever. Um, And that's the kind of thing I like, you know, nerding out on the arcade version of Double Dragon, uh, the arcade version of... uh, 1942 all those fun ones and pinball my buddy has an indiana jones pinball game so i did a twitch game on it and i got like a high score on it It it's kind of fun
1: that's great love it that's grand
0: um let's see
1: her um anything you want to ask me (laughs) i want to ask you what'd you have for lunch today
0: um well i didn't eat yet for lunch because are you fasting no i just got up a bit later and i I what I'm doing is I'm taking I took a pill that helps settle my stomach a bit and chill Mm -hmm. and then I eat after that and uh, all I did was have breakfast I just had uh, a cereal with the Tim Hortons disgusting sugar cereal but I put a bunch of the reason I have that because I put a bunch of fiber on top of it that's like the the most healthiest stuff with the worst stuff that's what I that's what I
1: I thought (laughs) all of Canada rejected Tim Hortons once whoever bought them like Wendy's or whatever.
0: They all go to Tim Hortons. There's a well, I can see it from my backyard. They're all lined up all day long. I, I don't really go there anymore. I just had that cereal as a one-time joke, but it, that's what I had today. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, are you um? Are you a foodie?
1: Uh, no, I'm a I'm a food eater. Um, but, uh, and I, and I've had some incredible experiences and every time it happens to me, like I, um, I did this event once with Oracle corporation and what they did was they mixed a couple of marketing idiots like me, uh, with a whole bunch of people from like top chef various seasons. And, uh, so I had this, this three, three city tour of top chefs plus marketing stupid idiots and so uh, i got to meet lots of really great super smart amazing chefs making incredible food but i'm the kind of guy whose version of incredible is like i'll get a double quarter pounder you know what i mean so it was such a waste on me but it was so delicious you know they do that like gastronomic stuff or you know there's a little smoosh of cream and you're like what's that and they're like that's the burger I'm like, that looks like cream. And they're like, you know, that's the burger. That's funny. So I, I I find myself in foodie circumstances a lot, but I'm just a, you know, I'm a big moose. So I I'm, can't cook.
0: I'm not a family of cookers, but I, uh, I had a girlfriend that was a chef once. So like, mm. I, it was so bizarre. Like I knew that everything would be done right, but I also knew it always had to be done right. But that's cool. Um, yeah. Kind of funny.
1: <laughs> it really <sighs> is. That The whole world is like a different world though cooks and chefs and all that. That's a very um, it's like carnival people or something. They're not normal. So if you read like, for instance, some of the great books that Anthony Bourdain wrote rest in peace uh, and look at some of his series, he talks about that a lot. That culture is, it's sort of like a rock star culture, rock band culture, because there's a, you know, there, there, there are people that are somewhat misfity the behind uh, people, not the, not the servers like the actual line cooks and prep cooks and all that sort of thing um it's it's a it's a crowd of people who work in a very different way kind of like you know the seo people you hang with you know there's people that you could talk very specific stuff with that everyone else would just wander out of the room instantly the minute they heard you start to talk about it
0: i'm trying to go to PopCon. i think it's august 5th in florida i'm
1: gonna try i'll be there come on and hang out
0: we'll have to uh epic dinner Are are you on epic dinner are you about that
1: I don't know a thing about it. So, yes.
0: Okay, we need to talk. Okay, um, other stuff. Uh, Question. Yesterday, I was interviewing Rachel Mullins for my podcast, and she's a Hollywood Insider actress and podcaster as well. And uh, we were talking about showrunning and how hard it is to be a showrunner. And I noticed that you've listed yourself as the showrunner for the Backpack Show. So, I just wanted to ask, what the heck does that entail? And how do you like it? And what does that mean? (laughs) Could you tell me a bit about showrunning? Because we were just talking about it.
1: I picked, uh, so uh, since 2006, I've had a a process that I use called my three words. And that's how I sort of set my year up. And I think of three different words for the year. And I use those words to kind of triangulate what actions am I going to take? What choices am I going to make? How am I going to operate every given day? And so one of the words I picked for 2021 was showrunner. And the idea is that, you know, there's people who can make a product, like a podcast. Someone says, I'm going to start a podcast. And they don't think much about it. They just go, okay, what kind of gear do I need? How long should it be? How can I get some guests? And then they go run, right? So I've done that. I mean, I started podcasting in 05 with a show called Fat Guy Gets Fit. All I have figured out is if I just never get fit, I can have that show forever if I wanted. Uh, (laughs) That's uh, great.
0: That's great. I love that. Thank you. Have you thought of doing comedy? Because it sounds like it.
1: I have thought of doing comedy. It hasn't really, you know, it hasn't caught up to me yet. But one of these days, I'll be funny. I think...
0: It shows in your keynotes, and I wanted to say that because it's like I've done stand-up once just to prove I could do it, but I have lead singer's disease where we think that everything we do is great, so it doesn't matter what the crowd thinks.
1: Ah, yes. Uh, Uh, I've heard of that disease. I always thought it was called crabs, but so I... um... With the show running thing, the thing I ended up doing, the, the, like the distance between a showrunner and any other kind of business person, like think about this in other types of business. If I ran even like an oil change place, a showrunner would say, "What aspects of this experience would my customer, the person getting an oil change, come in contact with that would make them feel really good about the experience?" Isn't that the marketing director? It's very much like, or in Disney, that's what every oh, Imagineer Disney cast member. <laughs> yep, Imagineer so in that in that uh way so when i when i do the show so so my co-star my co-host carrie who's also a co-star i guess she books a, a good large percentage of the guests she likes and, and finds the guests and, and all that she likes to come up with people every now and again i'll find somebody i really want to interview but from the minute we do that we have to think about how is this going to work? How am I going to ask the questions that make the guests look the best they can look? How am I going to serve the people who give me the time and the attention to be there? What can I do to make this flow? How can I keep it seeming like it's a really tight run experience and all that? And so almost like when you go to a, a, a band performance, like for instance, there's such a distance between like, let's say Iron Maiden and uh, Tedacious Date. They're both really fun experiences, but Tenacious D is looser. They they joke around. They they change up their set mid set. They, you know, Jack will go on kind of a rant and you know have fun with something. Uh, Iron Maiden, it is, well, you know, it's like Steel Panthers are cute.
0: You know, like Steel Panther or the Bare Ladies. They're com they're comedians. There you go. So with we were saying with Tenacious D, but I think um, maybe a, another example might be like Beyonce versus Iron Maiden too, where it's just like a whole different thing.
1: Completely. And so um, w- the idea of show running is I want everything to kind of happen for a reason. I want everything to feel a certain way. When you were mentioning about uh, Scott Stratton, Scott is a, is a very, you know, kind of big level performer, the way he performs, the way he does his speeches, everything's scripted, everything's prepared, everything's tight, his little fingertips move and the, and the slide behind him will change exactly as the fingers move. And I'm more like you know trip or lose my notes or ask you to hold my notes, um, and and that sort of imperfection, that messiness, that kind of th- who's who, how did this? Why is he on the stage? That's part of it. Like there's something really exciting to me about looking like I don't exactly belong there, but being able to land it, you know, land it in such a way that people are like, oh, that was like a
0: sketchy was skateboarder that can pull it off. But I I yeah. think. What you're saying makes me think a little bit more along the lines of like, this This is really interesting stuff. Like a comedian, when they want to come up with a, like, it's like, a, it's like an artist. Like I read an album and I have 12, 10 songs and I go play live. I've been rehearsing my ass off and anyone who's signed to a major label deal, they've been rehearsing full time for three weeks until someone says they're good to go. So they didn't just show up and they're already good. So you got to know that. So if you're trying to be a comedian from what I'm understanding as a musician is that you basically try your jokes out. And like some guys, they would, Put a check mark up on the ones that worked and the ones that didn't work. They take them out of the, they're editing their, like their show as they go. So that at the end of like a season or something, they have like all these jokes that work and then they can go do a Netflix special or something.
1: Yes. So there is an incredible documentary by Jerry Seinfeld yes. called Comedian. And that's, he walks through that process a lot. And I think they, the way they bookend it is he talks about the fact he's been trying to land this particular joke for over five years. Has not figured it out yet and i and i find that amazing i love it It, jerry's been wandering around i've heard that he's given the same advice to a lot of people which is not negative but he says why do you keep coming up with new material all the time why do you always do that like he said it to uh uh amy why can't i think of her name but everybody schumer amy schumer and he said it to um a few other people and he and he said basically the audacity of you to think that you should be trying your new material all the time. You should be giving everyone your best material, to your point. And so uh, I've seen this in, in rock and roll too. The Beach Boys, the reason they have not been able to play together for a decade plus is that they don't agree. There's Brian and I forget who the other guy's name is, but they keep fighting because Brian wants to play all this experimental stuff and all the rest of the Beach Boys just want to play the hits because they're saying, you know, who wants to come to our show, Brian? People who want to hear good vibrations. They don't care that you've played it for 60 years and counting. That's all they want. They want that surfing USA, fun, fun, fun. You know, that's all they want. They don't want your crazy ass space people music. And so they've never gotten back together because they just can't agree on that. Sort of like the, the Floyd, you know, Roger and David story. So I think that there's a place for just play the hits. Um, I'm really bad at that. I always am trying new stuff as well. I'm Brian in that conversation. I wish I was the other guys, but I'm not.
0: Well, I think what you do is then you have like a liquid tension experiment where you make a side project. That's something different. That's named in a way that needs to be named and you play the things you want and give people what's branded as what you've sold them. Um, Some people were in record deals with producers and stuff and like the stuff they wrote didn't, get conveyed properly and they've been produced to all hell and the records only sound the way the public wants them if they use that producer. So now the artist has been detrimented and turned into something they aren't, and I've seen it. And I've seen it happen where they aren't an artist and the producer turns them into something, you know, like a lot, um, people can sing, but they don't necessarily know how to write the part so then they may have someone else write it. And it's amazing how many different pieces of the puzzle there are for most artists, like, Any CDs you have, a lot of people didn't write their own music. And that's kind of weird. I'm all about writing your own stuff and being original and being true and real and trying to get that out. And that's what I feel like I did with my last few records, but they don't fall in any category. I guess it's all rock.
1: (laughs) Right. And that gets tricky too, right? Because uh, the way the world exists is that you need to sort of fit into some kind of a bucket. And there's very few people... Who we end up following them, no matter which bucket. Uh, The one that came right to mind when I said that was uh, Mike Patton, uh, Uh, famously in Faith. Mr. Bungle, Mr. Bungle, uh, Fantomas. Um, You know, I I met my ex-wife because of Mr. Bungle comment. We both we both mentioned we both liked Mr. Bungle, and that's why we met. Um, And so when I finally went to see them, it was a grand experience. Um, But then Mike has you know fifty five other bands. And so you just kind of have to, with him, you're just like, well, I don't know what I'm going to get today, but I love him. So let's see what happens. But I think there's so few Mike Patton's and there's just way more like, you know, Foo Fighters, you're always going to get rock, uh, whoever. Primus. Talking, Primus. Primus is
0: a, is, is a good example. Yep. Yeah, there you go. That's a, a unicorn. Um, for sure. Um, my buddy who produces Steel Panther and used to play in, uh, one of these in this band for a bit, uh, he's actually, I think he produced a new Mr. Bungle record. <laughs> so, yeah, I know that he was working with them and was there. I haven't mm-hmm. talked to him. I'm gonna try to get Jay on the show. We'll, good we'll, idea. See. we'll see about that. Um, but yeah, he uh did a lot of great work and mixed our first couple of records and then went to Hollywood and did a lot of good stuff. So I'm gonna try and get him on the show. I won't, I won't go off on it too now, but um, I, I like the like, this comedy thing is interesting, I think. Uh, you know, knowing that comedy needs to be developed is the first step into comedy. And then realizing that once you do that, it's probably not really that hard. I think Facebook teaches you wit. um, if you're always replying to comments over the last 10 years, maybe the last 15 to 10 years, not necessarily more recently, but it was like, who could get the first comment in and YouTube, like not to be a jerk online, but like, if you can get that funny comment first and and you get all the likes and it's funny, it's kind of like, yeah, it's comedy kind of, it's teaching you comedy. Um, so I feel like I practice comedy on Facebook and that's why people are like, why the hell do you comment on this or that? And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so
1: that just really made me think of, um, um, Eugene Merman, uh, who plays Gene on Bob's burgers, uh, amongst oh, other things. Uh, Eugene Merman made a joke. He goes, you know, some people practice and try out their jokes on Twitter. He goes, I practice my jokes on LinkedIn and then he goes on to talk about how he he's done things like he calls himself the VP of PP at Verizon. And he filled in a whole thing about it. And he goes, what's crazy to me is that no one checks it. No one, he says, no one on LinkedIn goes, know, you're not. And so he goes, suddenly I'm getting ad- asked to be vice presidents of other companies like Verizon. And I, I thought that was fascinating. I also appreciate the idea that you could try to be a comedian on LinkedIn. Um, I went to, I, I, I gave a speech at a, a really super amazing conference uh, that I really wish was still around. It's called Audience. And the guy who put it on was this guy, Lawrence, Lauren Feldman. Um, half of the show was marketing idiots like me. And half of the show were stand-up comics. And it was done in New York City. The year I was there, it was done on Caroline's stage. So this is a stage that you've seen some of the biggest comedians you've ever heard of in your life have gone to really be discovered. And I'm on that stage as a marketer. However, I'm the only one in the marketing half who thought about maybe I'll try to tell some jokes. There you go. Everyone else said, you know, I'm just going to tell my marketing speeches the way marketers do. And I thought, no way. I watched the YouTubes of all these other comedians. I'm going to try to be funny.
0: Read the room.
1: So I made a joke that I I still kind of appreciate. I made a joke about when I grew up, there wasn't like all this great internet porn, like it just didn't exist. I said, all we had was ASCII porn. So you'd have to sit there with your dot matrix printer and like, and you'd like, look at those open and closed parentheses. I'm pretty sure that's a nipple. And then people were laughing their heads off. And I said, this feels good. So you're right. I mean, with developing comedy, you get that real feeling of like, you know, "Hmm, But once the joke lands
0: and I haven't seen comedian by Jerry, but I have seen him a lot. And I actually saw Seinfeld at Pantages recently. And the beginning part of his act is just all about you getting into your seat. It's hilarious. And he talks about cell phones. He's up to date. It's not his old comedy, but I'm sure he worked on it a long time. I don't know where I was going with that.
1: (laughs) Me neither, but good for you.
0: Um. I think think, uh, that's like
1: the opposite of really good improv, by the way, improv, you're supposed to go. Yes. And just like, keep going with it. And I just like, I
0: can't. Okay. Like who's the line is it anyway? Stuff like that. Like groundlings, upright citizens brigade. I, I can't get into the always trying to make it up stuff. I'd rather just write smart comedy. Like I'm a huge Rick and Morty fan. I don't need to improv even though all their stuff's improvised and recorded and then they just use it Two brothers Do you watch that show? It's It's just
1: called Two Brothers. (laughs) Get ready to Jan Michael down your Vincents. No, I've never heard of it.
0: Ooh, we, you know what? When is that coming back? Like now,
1: June? Pretty soon. And um, there's a, there's a strange side note to this that Dan Harmon just agreed to make some kind of a comedy show on, uh, on some kind of blockchain technology. So I have no idea what that really means, but the show's called something like Crap Town. Which, you know, means that he's going to treat it really poorly or something, but.
0: That should be awesome. I love what they do. But
1: the uh, new season's coming brilliant. in just a month or so. And um, it, it, I don't know. I feel like they need to have some kind of uh, very epic ending before they accidentally get uninteresting. I feel like they run the risk any day soon of, uh, I mean, how many seasons can you outdo yourself? So well, I'm curious to know what's going to happen. I, mean, I don't know, Morty. Ten seasons, Morty.
0: Ten seasons, and I'm gonna get the casserole sauce. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> oh my lord. All right. Well, um, my viewers will get a lot of insight from you, and hopefully, I'd love to have you back sometime when you have something going on you want to talk about, or if there's more going we'll on. Just in tell our, more in jokes. I think we could maybe switch it to more comedy. I think next mm. time we'll we'll have to. It'll be more of a, all right, what do you got? Like, what do you, what do you got for me that's funny?
1: <laughs> you know, I was just thinking, you know, what might, might be a, a fun version of that is make a show called uh, Really Bad Comedians Do Their Best at Not, you know, at, you know, really trying to be funny or something. Something where the premise is basically upfront that try,
0: Trying to be funny.
1: Clear you're not going to land it. You know what I mean? You're just like, it's just going to be awkward joke a, after awkward joke.
0: It's a place to try the jokes out. That aren't gonna land, and that people are gonna appreciate that you're doing that, but it could turn into dad joke central. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I love a good dad joke. My ex-wife's favorite dad joke is, "Where does a king keep his army?
0: Where does a king in keep his, his sleevey? Oh my lordy!
1: Yeah, she's Canadian, so you have to appreciate it. Do you know much music? Um, I do know much music and music plus.
0: Oh my lord! Okay, well, do you know that Ed the Sock is trying to bring it back in some way? They've got an IndieGoGo thing. Do you know who he is? No. Okay, so he was a guy that the only reason I'm mentioning him is because uh, recently I saw him live on Facebook doing this thing for musicians, which is great. They have an IndieGoGo set up. It's called New Music Something. It's to do with like they're trying to bring much music back. But he sounds like Rick from Rick and Morty. But if you don't know who he is, you won't understand. But he was a uh, he was kind of like the the poo poo dog you know that stupid dog but he was predecessor to that too
1: and interesting
0: but if he's talking about much music i don't know well at the much music building that is speaker's corner but if he's talking about i don't know morty it's the same voice but same it's not the voice. same guy but he was there before he was there first and i just think that's hilarious if you know who ed the sock is from much music. are you
1: gonna get all the much uh you know musicians back together like are we gonna get to see some good real statics maybe or you know, um, there's a new hip record
0: out tonight at midnight.
1: Oh my gosh. It's it's sessions from Road apples. Oh, okay. Okay.
0: It's like, I don't know. I just heard about it today because Canadian music week's on right now. And instead of participating, I'm doing podcasts because I'm sort of over the online music thing. I want to play real music for real people. again. Um,
1: there was that, uh, the tea party. I was thinking of the tea party. Maybe they could show up on the new much music. I could sing some version of "Temptation," perhaps.
0: Yep, yeah, there's the Tea Party, I Mother Earth, all those guys, uh, Our Lady Peace, the three three-letter bands.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of those three-word bands. Who knew? Sloan. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, maybe Whale. No, Whale wasn't Canadian.
0: Whale was good though. Whale's great. I like that.
1: Uh, go, oh, bo- oh, and uh, uh, the Hansons. You know, oh, the good old hockey game. All the Hansons punk rock versions of songs
0: the handsome brothers. I love it. I love it. I wanted to ask you, are there any artists before you go that have been resonating with you lately that you want to tell us about or that we should check? Very
1: much. So very, very much. So thank you for asking this question. It makes me so I always want to ask this question. Uh, I like the Mongolian band, the who H U not W H O, but the who Uh, their song. Wolf totem always makes me jazzed up. And there's a lot of good versions of that going around. Um, Check that out oh my gosh so it is this is a real story it is a real deal um they're they're a mongolian a bunch of like 20-ish heavy metal band but so the mongolian people for instance have this kind of it's like a cello but it's only got two strings and it rocks when you do it plus they do that throat singing that you hear sometimes i've seen this style
0: of music before i just haven't heard of this band i bet you it's awesome
1: the who a. i might have been shown this wolf before. totem lead singer of papa roach did a version of the song with them that's really kind of cool uh the other band i like comes from japan they're called baby metal uh, oh yeah i know give me chocolate uh yep. they're a sweetheart to a lot of people like rob zombie rob halford all the robs evidently like them um i like baby metal uh i listen to them quite a bit and then um Uh, frog leap studios on YouTube, Leo, um, Leo does all these great metal covers of not metal songs. And at this point I'm in this weird mode where I keep going back and finding some of his best of, so like he does this great version of hello by Adele. That is a banger. Like it feels like an awesome metal song. And you don't think Adele while you're listening to it. You think of that. He so a good Africa song uh, from Toto, but it's a metal song when you listen to it. So
0: when I hear banger, I think EDM. How's your EDM?
1: <sighs> All right. I'm broken. I'm broken. You're saying uh, a
0: Pantera song. I'm broken. Dang, dang, I'm
1: broken. I'm broken.
0: Sorry. I can't not make a Pantera reference when I got Dimebag's actual pick
1: break oh, here with God. the
0: x's in it from the stage mic when i was at the show
1: you could walk around with that and really improve impress a lot of people i'm not so, anyone with that i was gonna say i'm broken to edm because i still actually like non-ironically like uh, dubstep so i i'm not really good to answer that question because i still like like scary monsters and nice sprites and those kinds of things
0: that's all right that's that's what you I guess the word would be resonated with when you got into it would be true
1: i mean i like how i learned ableton by the way
0: I, i i'm happy to hear that you learned ableton that's what i use live and it's my favorite thing ever um and i've been when i was living in la i had a bunch of friends who took me to this place space yacht that's what that is um it's just a night tuesday nights uh now it's at club sound in la every tuesday and they it's all edm night but it was like i was living with a bunch of djs and i was learning the the trade of ableton and other things and trying to figure out the scene i met so many people there like um ghastly slushy a track people like that would sometimes be there in this in this scene because it was like all the people at school uh the different schools in los angeles for for music production and so it's like 25 year olds mostly Um, My roommates are all kind of like 20s and 30s and I skate a lot. So I hang a lot of skaters. So it's kind of, I I had a re-education of EDM from Burning Man and from this little crew I was with. We run the skateboard camp at Burning Man. At least I I try to help as much as I can. Um, It's been canceled the past two years. Have you ever ever gone?
1: I have not gone. Um, By the time I got to the awareness of it, it was starting to turn in some people's minds. So some people argue that it's still really great. And some people say, you know, you already missed it.
0: I went once and I never stopped going. I'm not okay. going to comment any other other than a canceled last year. So I couldn't go. Um, it's a, it's a great networking experience. Nice. I highly recommend it, but, um, I like think that's all I have for you today. This has been all really right, good. Fine, I, I'll go. I would love to do your show sometime. If you ever need anyone that has whatever kind of insights I got, um, from SEO to guitar, to podcasting, to comedy, to acting, to space. Maybe
1: guitar SEO. I mean, that might be an interesting topic area too. Well, the way to
0: be number one in guitar SEO is to be that annoying guy that shows everyone how to play it and it makes fun of it. But I, he's so, he's so annoying. He's so good. I don't want to be that guy. It's cruise the mystery up of being an artist. Now, this is bad enough that I'm having a podcast where I tell everyone my secrets, but I don't want to be like in my... Stage setup doing that, you know, oh, what I'm s-
1: I see what you're saying. Um, well, you could be like Rick Beato and just you know, jam around <sighs> why you like XYZ song.
0: Oh, well, I'm happy to grab my guitar almost right now, it's right there and show people stuff. And I'm happy to do like how to play my music, how to play things I've figured out over the years. I right. might do that on my podcast on a gear episode, but um, good idea. for the overall, I don't want to build a YouTube channel around like complaining. <laughs>
1: What I thought that's why we built YouTube. No, it's
0: to answer and solve problems for our users. This is oh. what we learn in marketing, right? Oh. Every video is to solving a problem.
1: For oh, somebody.
0: so that's why the keywords for this podcast are all about how to help musicians. Now,
1: huh? Well, if you had a problem, you know, I'd solve it. You just have to check out my hook,
0: DJ Revolve It. <laughs> I think that, we're was one of the best,
1: that was one of the best shows I ever saw. Uh, There was a. I was watching Where Are They Now? If you remember that on MTV, back when they talked about music sometimes, and uh, they were talking about Ice, uh, Vanilla Ice. And they said, Coming up next, what Vanilla Ice has been doing. And it was really heavy. I was like, Whoa, what's he been doing? I remember that. He got with those guys from Corn, you know, like the people who kind of made the albums, not the band. And I said, I want to make an album like that. And they were like, "Uh, Okay, Vanilla Ice. And so he made it like a really heavy album. Well, I happened to be reading the Boston Phoenix, which a long, long time ago was this incredibly great independent newspaper where uh, you could catch up on bands that weren't as commercially popular. And I turned the page during the commercial break, coming up. Here's what Vanilla Ice is doing. Turn the page, and there's a full page vanilla ice coming to the wherever it was at the uh, Middle East in Boston, which is this like kind of smallish club then that day's date on it like the day i'm watching the show I was like that's so funny oh. so i took my then girlfriend i said we gotta go we get in the car I, we live like 35 minutes from boston we drive all the way to boston find a space which is horrible get to the sh- the, the show and um he's not on stage yet. you know how like you're kind of like all lumbering around waiting for the show to start well they start um the crowd is kind of making fun of him like like they're all like most of the people there seem to be there because they were like they want to accident. see the
0: accident happen. Yeah. They're so, there to see it crash. And, and
1: I was there, you know, open-minded. I was there kind of more like, oh, this might be interesting. It's okay. You like
0: the song. It's all right. Sure. It's a queen so, song, but it's all right.
1: The crowd is screaming, Go Ninja, go ninja, go, making fun that he was in uh, uh Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2.
0: Oh no.
1: And 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 like, you know, they he's gotta he's hate. gotta own
0: that. He's gotta own that.
1: So he comes out. Uh, well so so the the the, the really bright lights that, that illuminate the audience the one's facing the audience come on super super bright you sort of see the band silhouettes coming out and then you hear him put on like the 80s version of ice ice baby just the starting part doom 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 do ding 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 and then he holds his mic out he goes all right stop and then the whole crowd a cappella sings every word of the song because they know every word of the song even if they're going there to make fun of him that's awesome midway through the heavy metal band lands boom, 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 boom. the crowd loses their mind it is incredibly instantly like a 300 person mosh pit in a 200 person capacity space and the whole rest of an hour goes by everyone losing their mind they're so happy to be in there because people
0: just want to mosh to that song and crunch people to it in the heavy version of They're so sick of the res- other version. <laughs> they had
1: such a great time. Everybody left that place going, man, Vanilla Ice has sure got a good show. Like, they no one could talk smack about him then. He. he I heard about it lip. from
0: my drummer, who's, uh, he knew him or somehow knew something to do with it and was saying Vanilla Ice has, like, got a crazy show going on.
1: Yeah. So that was years ago, and he's, uh, I don't know, he, like, restores houses or something now. I don't know. He, he does this weird... That order. was, like, 03... Yeah. So wow. uh, yeah, it was around 03, uh, probably just a little bit sooner, even before that maybe, but it was definitely like, I just, I have that feeling that there's a lot of other bands out there that if you ever go to see them, you're going to love them more than you think. So that's how we'll end the show, I guess. We'll end the show by saying never judge a band by its cover.
0: I love it on uh, who they cover. I love it. Uh, so tomorrow I've got Steve Thompson on speaking of corn. He produced like all, a whole bunch of their albums and he mixed appetite for destruction so that'll be pretty cool. Wow. Uh, he's a friend of mine. I've worked with him before. And, and I just, uh, I love his take on the industry. And I can't wait to record him tomorrow. And yesterday is out tomorrow, uh, next Wednesday. And yours will be out the week after.
1: So, that sounded like calendar words, but yes.
0: Boom. Sorry to confuse it all. Anyway, thank you, Chris Brogan uh, at chrisbrogan.com. And that's, I know Mm -hmm. your company's name is that as well. Chris Brogan Consultant. What's the name of it, man?
1: Uh, Chris Brogan Media or I also own Owner Media. So either one.
0: Well, uh, very pleased to have you on. Thank you for your time today. And uh, this is the Musician's Insider and I'm Cronus and we'll see you all again soon. Thanks. (laughs) I'm the one who